And you all can give the person next to you, I know it's still dark, here we go, you all can give the person next to you a high five and say, great job on Thursday night, right? Uh, We had a, uh, yeah, there you go, yeah, high fives, hugs, high fives all around. Uh, We had just a wonderful time on Thursday evening. We, uh, again, um, gave away over 500 hot dogs just like that. We finished the earliest we've ever finished giving out hot dogs this year Uh, because like Jesse said, like we've become part of that tradition and that's pretty cool. Uh, In fact, I'll just tell you this uh, quick story as I'm doing that, turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter and uh, so you can find find your way to 1 Peter and also uh, tune in your ears. So turn in your Bibles, tune in your ears, that's a nice little tagline. Uh, but 1 Peter chapter 1, if you're looking for it, you'll find it on page 1727. Uh, 1 Peter is where we're at. But uh, when, we, when the crew, the, there were several of us who arrived early on Thursday afternoon, we gathered the things here and then uh, went over to the location. And once we arrived at the location with trailer in tow, uh, there was a couple, several people who were there waiting on us at that location. And um, a gentleman by the name of Henry, and uh, I believe his daughter Corinne, and then Corinne has another daughter, and then Henry's wife was there also with her, and so a couple generations there, I believe. And um, as we're opening up the, the trailer, uh, Henry walks over to us, and he said, can we help out? And I mean, listen, I'm never going to turn anyone away, right? If you're ready to roll up your sleeves, let's do it. And I said, absolutely. I said, you just, I said, jump right in. And, uh, and he, he jumped in, and he's helping us get all of this set up. And then he told me something. He said, you know, he said, we've noticed over the years how, how you are here every year to do this. And he said, my daughter brings my granddaughter to your backpack giveaway each year, and we are just so thankful for your, the way in which you serve the community that we decided we wanted to come and help out too. And so I share that with you just to let you know that what you do matters, right? Sometimes, right, and, and again, it's a great time. I mean, we, we do, we have a ton of fun. Like if you weren't there on Thursday night, yeah, you missed it, okay? I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm just telling you the truth. You missed it. It was a great time. It, because, and, 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 and not only do we just have a great time and then pack it up and say, ah, okay, you know, we'll see you next year, but that God uses these interactions. And again, it is that scattering, it's the scattering of these, of these gospel seeds. Steve and Linda and Tom, they are always faithfully there. I mean, they were right, like, you couldn't get a hot dog until you had opportunity to receive a Bible or to receive a gospel pamphlet. Because right there, Steve and Linda are right there just handing, handing out Bibles like they're going out of style, you know. And, and so what you do, church, matters. And you might not see the fruit of your labor next week or next month or even this year. But, but Henry noticed it. And his family said, whatever they're doing, it, it's making a difference and we want to be a part of it. And after, as we were wrapping up and closing up, Henry came up to me and he said, now where exactly is your church again? And I said, well, we're off Galene Drive. I know where that is. I said, it's next to the Dollar General. I know where that is. And he said, we're going to be there one of these weeks. He said, it might not be this Sunday, but it'll be soon. And so church, 
thank you for how you serve the Lord by loving our community in that way. All right. It, it, it really does matter on that. So we're grateful. It's, it's a great time next year. We'll be right back at it. All right. Uh, so let's see here. First Peter, are you there? I hope so. Uh, we are jumping right back in uh, here. This is our second week uh, studying the book of First Peter as we're going through it verse by verse. I'm going to begin reading in verse uh, 13, and uh, we'll hopefully make it all the way to verse uh, 21 this morning. So chapter 1 of First Peter, starting in verse 13, follow along with me as I read. It says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace of Set your hope to be on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. And since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were, you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, he was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. And through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. When experiencing persecution... Maybe we don't call it persecution. Maybe it's more just social pressure. But when we experience that social pressure, we are often tempted to make concessions or give up some sort of moral viewpoint or standing. Take, for example, if you're a high school student, I know we've got a number of young men in here, young ladies as well. If you're a high school student and your peers are making fun of you for pulling out your Bible and reading Scripture during study hall. If, you're, if, if your peers, your other classmates, if they're making fun of you, uh, the pressure there is for you to take your Bible and just quietly put it back in the backpack and join in with whatever their conversation might be. Right? That's, that's, that's the effect of a social pressure you might even call it some sort of right some almost micro persecution of of sorts where you're being made fun of and and so the goal of that is to cause you to change your position to change your actions to change your mind even to surrender or to submit whatever they want to talk about or maybe your employer is requiring you to agree 
or sign off on a certain social agenda that is contrary to God's word, contrary to scripture. Again, there's that pressure that we have to conform to whatever their requirement is because right, we, we just want to keep our job. And it's under such circumstances that sometimes we go into survival mode, right? If you're the high school student there at the, at the study hall table, right? You want to survive high school, right? You want to survive without constantly being the butt of the peers' jokes or others' jokes. Or you want to survive and not lose your job. And so what do we do? We, we, we sometimes we will resort to simple compromises or even be willing to adopt unholy confessions that we would never make if the threats weren't present. Right? Have you ever experienced this in, in different ways? Because the goal of persecution or the goal of this opposition against our faith ultimately is submission. That we would give up our beliefs in submission to their intimidation. So I wonder, how do you respond when that pressure, when the, when, when the heat of the pressure is turned up? Do you surrender and give in just to maintain maybe some sort of social standing? Maybe you choose to just kind of lay it low, right? Just kind of sit back until the dust settles? Or do you prepare yourself to remain steadfast in the face of the opposition. Right, this morning we are here in First Peter on this, our second week studying this book of a sermon series titled Steadfast or Steadfast Living where Peter is helping the readers, the recipients of this letter that he wrote to, he's helping them uh, prepare themselves for persecution. He's helping them prepare themselves for social pressure, for opposition from the world. And, and he wants them to be ready to stand firm, to remain steadfast. And this morning, as we're going to see in our study of verses 13 through 21, that, that Peter is now giving them commands, he's giving them instructions of action. He's going to tell them that now they should be taking action in their steadfast living. And that's the big idea for our sermon this morning is this, is to take action in steadfast living. Last week, you'll remember, we, we opened up learning about this great gift of salvation that God has given us and the comfort that that the knowledge of that salvation, the reality of, of that salvation, the comfort that it should give us in the midst of suffering. And now, Peter follows up those great truths with action, with commandments. You see there, verse 13 begins with that word, therefore. And again, if you've hung around at, for any length of time or if you've studied the Bible, you understand, right? That therefore, that's kind of a, a key word that should capture your attention Right, the Bible study tools, they always say, like, whenever you find the word therefore, you should ask yourself the question, once, what's therefore, therefore? And what, right, it's, 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 now, it's now leading me into some sort of action, some sort of command. You've been given all this truth, therefore, here's how you 
should live. And so this morning I've organized these applications and this is what Peter is giving us. He's now going into this this time of instruction, of taking action. And I've organized these applications into three different areas. The first, he's going to tell us to be hopeful. Then he's going to tell us to pursue holiness. And then he's going to tell us to live fearfully. To live fearfully. So he's going to say first, be hopeful. Next, he's going to say, pursue holiness. And third, he's going to say, live fearfully. So the first one is this. What's this first action step he tells us? Is this, is to be hopeful by preparing your mind and thinking on Christ's return. Be hopeful by preparing your mind and thinking on Christ's return. What is one of the greatest needs during suffering or heartache, or hardship, what is it? It's hope. It's hope. And this is where where Peter begins. Look there in verse 13. He says, therefore, again, we're transitioning now to, to action, to commands. He says, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, what does he do? What does he do? He says, set your, your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Some translations might instruct us to prepare your minds for action, right? The, this, the, the NIV here says that with minds that are alert, maybe your translation says to prepare your minds for actions. Other translations, maybe you have the King James Version sitting uh, there on your lap, it says to gird up the loins of your mind, this instruction provides us with that, that, especially that girding up the loins of your mind, it provides us with an Old Testament picture of, of a person who maybe had to move quickly or was needing to run. What they would do is they would actually bundle up their robe, okay? They didn't wear pants or shorts like we do in this day. They their, their garments were a bit more flowy. And so what they would do is they would bundle up their garments and, and attach it underneath their belt. And, and that was a way of saying, hey, if I have to run, I don't want to trip up over, over the garment that I'm wearing. And so I better gird up, pull up the garment, gird, up, gird it up. And so, so Peter is giving them, and again, he's speaking primarily to Jewish believers, those who grew up in a Jewish household, but have believed that Jesus has indeed risen from the grave and is indeed the Messiah. And so he's using this Old Testament idea, this picture uh, of saying, you need to prepare your minds. In other words, he's saying, uh, gather up the loose ends of your thinking. Gather up the loose ends of your thinking. Then he, then he goes on and he says to be fully sober. He says, have minds that are fully sober. Now when I hear the word sober, my mind often goes to the opposite idea of a person who is what? Is drunk. Of a person who is under the control of some type of substance. And when a person is drunk, their ability to control themselves has been inhibited. They no longer have full control of their minds and of their faculties. They they no longer have full control of their actions. 
But instead, Peter is telling us, he says, that those who are sober, he says, have minds that are fully sober. That, that you have a mind that you are in control of. That you have a mind in which you are able, you're capable of making right decisions. Right? To have a sober mind is to have control of, of, your, uh, of your thoughts and of your actions. It's to have a mind that is free from worldly influences or distractions. Why? So that you can direct your thoughts and you can, you can determine what influences and what actions you're going to en- allow to enter into your mind. Right? He, he's telling us here. He says, right, in a sense, that steadfastness... A steadfast life begins first with your thoughts, with your thinking. Church, think about this for a little bit, all right? He's telling us that it's necessary that we should remove from and we should guard our minds from anything that might what? That might hinder us, might trip us up. We should remove from our minds anything that might cause us the inability to think on the things of Christ. And I ask you this morning, are are you taking seriously that which you allow to influence your mind? Your thinking. Right? We must not allow the lies of this world to numb our minds or cause them to be ineffective. And so again, what does he say? He says, with minds that are alert, always awake, paying attention, fully sober, not allowing outside influences to come and numb you to what is true, right and true. What does he say? He says, now set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. And so Peter now then instructs us where we should turn our attention. Right? He's, he's telling us, he's saying, right, don't guard from this. And in guarding from that, you are then able to turn your attention to what? To the grace that is going to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Peter says, this is what you need to be setting your minds on, right? We understand that hope is forward thinking, isn't it? Right? Hope is is. It's an attitude that we have today because we know with certainty what is coming tomorrow. That hope is always forward thinking. And so what Peter is instructing us, he is saying to live in this world, to, to, to be able to live a steadfast life under oppression and to be able to stand up within persecution, we should constantly be looking ahead, living with eternity in mind. That we should live for the promised future. That every day we should be thinking of Christ's return. And the grace that we will experience when He comes. I remember, uh, and this is 20 plus years ago, right? Marin and I, uh, before, as our marriage, as our wedding day was approaching, Marin uh, put together this really long paper chain for me. And again, this is like going a long way back, isn't it, Marin? Uh, and she put together this paper chain, and I don't know how many days she had, 
right? Each day was represented by a link. And so she gave me this paper chain. And I was, at the time, I was working at a church in Indianapolis. And that paper chain, it stretched all the way around my office. And so I had it, I, I hung it uh, around the top. And so every morning when I would go into my office, I would go and I would remove another link because that paper chain was, it was setting our, my mind on a day that was quickly coming. And at that point, it wasn't coming soon enough, but I would just take off a link. And I'm reminding, there's a day coming when I'll be married. There's a day coming when the bride, when she will walk down that aisle. And the same is true for us that Peter says, set your mind on when you, the bride of Christ, will be received by your Savior, by Jesus. Peter says that the gaze of our hope should be fixed on Christ's return. And when we hope in God, what happens is we glorify God when our lives display a hopefulness even when the world seems to be stacked up against us. Right, church? Even in the midst of persecution, even when your buddies at school are making fun of you for reading your Bible, for going to church, for participating in youth group, even when your coworkers are making snarky comments behind your back about the biblical convictions that you are unwilling to waver from, that your life should still display a hopefulness, that there should be a joy about you in the midst of that, Why? And why is there a joy? Why is there a hopefulness? Because we know there's a day coming when Jesus will return. See, Peter's great concern here is that we would be fully hopeful. Peter's great concern is that we have started to waver and and instead of being fully hopeful, we are only half-hearted in our hope. And, why, and Peter is saying the reason why we're half-hearted in our hope is because we're failing to guard our minds. It's because we're failing to set our minds on that which glorifies and honors Jesus. We've failed to set our minds on the grace that will one day come to us as Jesus Christ appears. And let me think back to what I said earlier, the importance of tying up the loose ends of our thoughts. I wonder if maybe one area that we need to keep our minds fully alert and fully sober in are those moments of idleness. It's those spare moments. Keep in mind, right? He's not just saying, right, have minds that are fully alert and fully sober when you're at church. Yeah, that's right. Just do it then. As long as you're fully alert, as long as your mind is sober when you're at church, you're good, right? No, this, this is an instruction of all hours, of every day, to guard our minds. And I wonder if maybe some of the loose ends of our minds are found in some of those in-between moments, those first moments of our day. Some of the short breaks we take during the day. Maybe it's the last moments of our day before we go to bed, right? It's just kind of like that time where I'm just, I'm just trying to decompress after a long day. And so I kind of just let my 
my guard down. Do you ever do that? You just let your guard down and you allow all of these different influences into your minds. It's those moments when we allow our thoughts to go astray. When we allow the influences of the world to start to take our minds captive. Peter's reminding us, be hopeful even in those loose ends of your mind. And that we should tie those loose ends up. Maybe it's when you're sitting there at the stoplight, right? That's kind of a loose end of your mind, right? You kind of aren't thinking about a whole lot there. Maybe it's a long light. We have long lights here in Louisville, and so you pick your phone up and you're just kind of scrolling. Again, maybe it's there, those, those loose ends of your mind at nighttime where you're about ready to shut the light off and you think, I'll just scroll a few more times, right? Maybe it's there at your lunch break. It's just the loose ends. I'm just going to take a few minutes here. Like, what if we actually, what if we captured those loose ends and we said, no, even in these moments, I'm going to, make, I'm going to capture my, my thoughts and make them obedient to Christ. What if it, even during those times we started meditating on God's word? What if even in those moments we, we took advantage of those loose moments and we started to, to text a friend some encouragement, some words of encouragement during those times? So this first way, he says, if we're going to take action in steadfast living, he says that you should be hopeful. By preparing your mind, reminding yourself that Jesus is going to soon return. Then the next one then is this, is that you should pursue holiness and stop conforming to evil desires. We see this in verses 14 through 16. Pursue holiness. And so now in verse 14, he says, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. Go ahead and underline that, all right? Underline it, highlight it, circle it. Put a star beside it. So be holy in, in how much? In all you do. Why? For it is written, be holy because I am holy. So by focusing our minds and setting our hope on the grace to come in Christ Jesus, it allows our future to now determine our present. Again, as we, set, as, we, as we set our gaze on the future grace and the glory that is to come, and as we guard our minds and keep our distractions at bay, we're then instructed to be different from the world in our actions, in our daily lives. Church, it is indeed true that what you allow to inf- into your mind, to influence your mind, will eventually influence your hands, your actions. It will come to play in that way. You can't be taking in worldly influences and expect to live a life of holiness for the Lord. You just can't do it. And maybe some of you are finding yourself struggling. You think, man, I want to live for the Lord, but I'm struggling to do it. Maybe you need to go back and ask yourself, what, wh- where's my mind at? What am I constantly setting, allowing to influence my mind? Where am I setting my hope? And so, so it's, it's now, he says, guard your minds, set, set your hope fully on the grace to come, and now in your actions, pursue holiness and stop conforming to evil desires. A couple weeks ago, um, our children, our younger three, were running at a cross-country meet. And again, this is right, every year, this time, you, you inevitably will hear two or three cross-country illustrations. I love, the, I love the sport. I love the fact that my children run the sport. It's, I, I mean... 
you, you, as a parent, you almost have to train just as much as the kids to try to keep up with them as they're going from one point to the next. But we were doing the Rumble in the Jungle up in Oldham County. I don't think there's a jungle up there, but that's what they call it. It's called the Rumble in the Jungle. And uh, our two oldest, our two youngest boys, um, Anders and Merritt, God has gifted both of them differently. They're twins. They're born nearly at the same time. But God has given both of them different abilities. And praise God for that, that they are different uh, uh, young men. And um, Anders uh, is a faster runner. Merritt is just a steady Eddie, right? He just keeps plodding. Well, at the Rumble in the Jungle, as, as, they, as you got this almost 200 uh, kids lined up, right, for this big race, and right as the race, just as the race was getting to, to start, off in the distance were these six barnstormer airplanes flying right toward the, the course, right, right over toward the field that we are racing in. Now, not like, not like kamikaze style, but I mean, it, it's like, hey, they're here to put on a show. And so as they are flying, and of course, I'm like, man, the, the timing is incredible. This is like, whoever planned this out, kudos to you. This was great. And so the gun goes off. And so off in the distance, right, all, this, this, all these young boys are, are starting to run. And just as they're going past, these these barnstormer planes are, right, are flying in formation, low, right over us, and they turn the smoke on beneath them. And so they are, these, these things are living it up. And so they're flying right over, okay, and they fly over, and then they make a big circle, and they, ma- they, they turn the smoke off, make a big circle, and just as they're coming back, they turn the smoke on and, and make another pass right over. And so as we're doing it, Marin and I are cheering them on. Old Merritt man, steady Eddie, but so easily distracted. He's, he's, like, he's like running like this. And he's watching these, these things fly over. And, and Marin's yelling, Merritt, run the race. You're in a race right now. This isn't an air show. I mean, it was, but you're, you're in a race. Run the race. Meanwhile, Anders, like he's, he's, just, he's just trucking. You know, he's out there near the front of the pack running as hard as he can, and, and Merritt's here for the sideshow. So afterwards, as we, after we get home, we're talking about it, and Merritt's just like, man, those planes were incredible. You know, that was great. And, uh, and Merritt asks Anders, Anders, what did you think of the planes? And Anders says, what planes? <laughs> Why? Because Anders was in pursuit. Anders was in pursuit of a finish line. And he wanted to be one of the first ones there. So much so that he, <laughs> these six airplanes that had smoke that were low-flying, he didn't even notice it. And this is the instruction. Like, think about that. It's, it's that type of pursuit that Peter is telling us. He says, as obedient children, again, there in verses 14, 15, and 16, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Ignorance of the way of holy living 
He says, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in what? In all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. I think we all, we all can acknowledge the struggle to live a holy life is hard. It's a daily battle. At times, you know, I think sometimes we convince ourselves that something must be wrong with me because I'm really struggling to pursue holiness because it's hard. And you find yourself in the fog of, of the war, of this battle of, against temptation. But I think we need to be reminded that we're not alone in this battle of pursuing holiness, of contending against some of these sins that so easily entrap us and trip us up, that, that together we are pursuing holiness arm in arm, shoulder to shoulder, that each of us should be holding one another accountable, confessing our sins to each other, lifting each other up in prayer, providing words of encouragement, all of this for the purpose of what? Of pursuing holiness. That's why we need this gathering on Sunday mornings every week. That's why we need our encounter groups so that we can together be pursuing holiness. The word holy means something which is separate or set apart. It means to be in a class or a category all of its own. To be holy means to be uh, outside of that which is ordinary. To be holy is to be separated from common use and reserved for special use. When the description of holy is applied to God, it designates Him as the lofty, as the heavenly, as the one who is separated by space from man, who, who's dwelling on high. It describes God, the Holy One, as being majestic, separate from who we are. In fact, the name holy or holy one was used by Israel, uh, the nation of Israel, the Jews, there in the Old Testament, it was used as the highest expression for God. It is often understood that God's holiness is His central attribute. In fact, Scripture places a chief emphasis on God's holiness. God is described as being holy that, that characteristic is used more than any other characteristic in Scripture to describe who God is. It is most central. It's the epitome of God's very being. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 6, and many of us are familiar with this, there in Isaiah's vision, how is God described? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The earth is full of His glory. There's no other characteristic that is, that is used in, in that trifecta, in that way. It's only God's holiness. Then later in Revelation, as the Apostle John helps us get a glimpse of, his, of, of, of the vision he saw, again there in Revelation chapter 4, how is, how, is he, how is God described? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Church, sadly, I think our tendency is to downplay God's holiness. 
we fail to sufficiently meditate or contemplate on God's holiness. And instead, what do we do? We try to shape God into our our standards, into our expectations, into our views of what is right and what is wrong. And it is that characteristic of God that is to describe our lives. Be holy. Be holy. Now, I think at this point, right, the temptation is to draw up a list of do's and don'ts, right? Okay, what can I, what can I do and what can't I do? Right, do this or don't do this if you, if, if you want to be holy, right? Sometimes if we're, if we're not careful, legalism might try to take the stage and steal the spotlight. But what we see here is that Peter presents the call to holiness within the context of a relationship, doesn't he? Within the context of God the Father and us as His obedient children. You see it there in verse 14. He says, as obedient children. So, so he's, not, he's not separating it as this, just a list of do's and don'ts where, where, where there's some absent father that we should just pay attention to and obey. No, no, it's as obedient children of a loving heavenly Father. We are children of obedience. This is the character of those who follow Christ. And it's here that Peter compares believers to children who do what? Who obey their, who obey their parents. The significance of being called children of God is that we now have inherited the nature of our Heavenly Father. We are participants in His divine nature and therefore ought to demonstrate God's nature how? Through our holy living. Parents understand this. I think sometimes children forget this, but children are a reflection of their parents. As, especially when they're still in their home, sometimes you can use phrases like, well, that's not how we act. Right? You might have a child. I think I used it. I think I may have pulled that one out on Anders just the other night. Right? No, you don't take your hand and cut your brownie in half with a karate chop at the table. That's not how we act. Rachel saw that just last night, didn't you? And we use that phrase, that's, that's just not how, right? That, that's not how McDonald's act. That's not who we are. That's not how Reynolds act. Come on, get your thing, you know, get it straight. You're, that's not what we do. Because there, there is a reflection of the parents. And in the, in the same way, God expects us to pursue holiness because we are associated as His children, One of the compelling reasons that we should be pursuing holiness is because of the one who we call our Heavenly Father. In fact, in the book of Leviticus, where this verse is taken out of, be holy because I am holy, you see it there in verse 16. uh, We're to be holy. God, God gives them this understanding of holiness. Because he says what? Because I'm the Lord your God. Because I'm your dad. 
because I'm your father. Be holy. And so church, even in suffering, even in persecution, when we are tempted to give in a little bit, when we might be tempted to compromise, why do we compromise? We compromise because we're concerned about our social standing and we, we've neglected to remember God's holiness and who we represent. And so we should pursue holiness and we should stop conforming to evil desires is what Peter says, to take action in steadfast living. And then finally, the last one then is this, is to fear the Lord and remember his love for us in Christ Jesus. So Peter, now he's giving us, gives us another command to have a, a reverential fear of the Lord, all right? This is not like a fearful, I'm, I'm cowering in fear, but this is an, a fear of the awesomeness of God and who he is. And so look there in verse 17, he says, since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your ancestors, but what? But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, for he was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. And through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and your hope are in God. Peter is helping us to see that how we live reveals the value we place on God's redemption. The value we place in Jesus and God sending his son Jesus to redeem your soul. The true test of how much we, this is, and again, listen, church, I, like I'm watching facial expressions, okay? I do, I, I really do try to read the congregation as I'm preaching this. And I, you can kind of tell when it's like, okay, we kinda, we, we're stepping on a few toes. We, we hit some, we hit some soft, soft spots here, All right? But, but listen to me. This, this is like Peter is, imagine, right, as they're receiving this letter, I'm sure they were hitting some soft spots in, in, in their hearts too, but what Peter is saying, right, you might say, yes, yes, I praise Jesus. I praise God for, for sending Jesus, for him giving his life for me. But then you go right out and you live a life of debauchery. You live a life that is, that is foreign to, the, to, to what Scripture tells us. The, the instruction here is that if you value the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, it will be seen in how you live. It says we will have to give an account to our loving Father, the one who judges fairly and impartially, right? Yes, praise God for the grace of Jesus Christ that, that, is going to, that we have received for the forgiveness of our sins, but that doesn't let us off the hook on how we live that we will have to give an account for our lives. And the one who judges fairly and, and, and impartially, he judges how we live, how we spend our time, how we serve others, how we invest our finances, how we obey, our response to temptation, the words we say, the jokes we laugh at, the entertainment choices we make, the quality of our work, 
our faithfulness and evangelism, all of it, we will have to give an account for and whether or not our lives were moved in the direction of obedience. And whether or not our lives were moved in the direction of doing what? What does he say? But just as he who called you is holy, do what? So be holy in all you do. Church, the goal and purpose of Jesus giving his life on the cross for your sins is not just for your forgiveness. A forgiveness that is great. It's a debt that we cannot pay on our own. But that's not the only reason that Jesus came. Jesus came, to He died on the cross for us for the forgiveness of sin, but also so that our lives would be transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And that we would be set apart for holiness, that, that we would take on the nature of our Heavenly Father where our Heavenly Father would look down and say, yes, that's how believers, that's how my children act. And that we would be prepared for the day of Christ's return. Jesus shed His blood, is what Peter is saying. Jesus shed His blood that was of infinite value. It is priceless. He says you can't put a price tag on it. Jesus shed His blood, why? So that our conduct in living would be changed. In fact, in Titus chapter 2, Paul reiterates it, and I'll read this as we land the plane and close. It's in chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. You can jot that down and refer to it later. I'll read it. It says this, Paul writes this, he says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. What does this grace do? It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and to do what? And to live self-controlled, there it is, fully alert, sober minds, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives, when? In this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Fix your eyes, right? Fix your eyes on the one who is going to come. Hope in that. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from what? From all wickedness and to purify for Himself a people that are His very own. Eager to do what is good. See, our lives and how we live and the holiness, the set-apartness of our lives should bear witness to not only the power of Christ's blood to change us, to transform us, but also to show us the infinite value of His priceless sacrifice. And when do we do all this? We live in this way. When the world is slinging <laughs> jokes, accusations, 
false narratives our direction. When they're making fun of us, we are living in a way that is steadfast. And we don't give up ground. Would you pray with me? And Father, now I pray, Lord, that Your Spirit would take these truths. Lord, I pray that what was said here, was spoken, was in line with Your Spirit. And I pray, Lord, that that You would take these truths now and help us to apply it. Father, help us to apply it and to live it out. Let us not just hear this and walk away shrugging our shoulders, but instead, God, help us to do it and to follow these instructions, these commands that have been given to us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.